From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrin. Hey, welcome aboard, friends. Before we uh, sort of kick things into high gear here, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, our paranormal investigator, regular contributor to the program, is standing by. This is a story I think she'd appreciate because we've talked about uh, um, disappearing and reappearing objects. The mighty Aphrodite had this uh, ring that she purchased before we were married, and it was very special to her. She had a strong emotional attachment to it. And then when we moved from our house to our current location, it went missing. And she had long suspected, and it's been almost two years now, she had long suspected that uh, during the open house uh, at the the old place when we were selling it, that maybe someone had walked off with it. You know, that's one of the problems with an open house. You have complete strangers parading through your house and going into your, your bedroom, and who knows? So she had just essentially written it off, and in fact, she was thinking about getting uh, another one made an exact replica. So, lo and behold, one day very recently, uh, she's downstairs in the kitchen, and her aunt is there, and her aunt is telling her the mighty Aphrodite had not mentioned this missing ring to her. She just started offering up this information. You know, she says, all I wear now is costume jewelry because I keep losing all my nice jewelry. She had gold earrings, and she had diamond this, and nice chains, and so forth, but it, it, it would get lost. So she just stopped wearing it. But then... I guess there was a prayer that she had learned. She would recite this prayer, and then suddenly some of the jewelry would start showing up again. Again, this is the mighty Aphrodite's uh, aunt, or her Thea, as we say in Greek. So about ten minutes after that conversation, the mighty Aphrodite goes back upstairs and uh, reaches into her closet for a handbag up there that she hadn't used for quite some time, but going back to when the uh, the ring disappeared, she had searched every pocket, every purse, everything. We turned the house upside down. I remember this very well. So she reaches up into the closet to pick a handbag out of the closet, and there, sitting virtually on top of the handbag, was that ring. And she was just absolutely gobsmacked, floored, could not believe it. She started texting me like crazy. She said, you won't believe what happened, you won't believe what happened. The ring, the ring, I found the ring. It's you know, something like out of a Tolkien novel. But we can't explain it. It's just, it, it was gone, nowhere to be seen, and then all of a sudden now it's it's sitting right on top of a handbag in the uh, in the top of the closet. So there you go. Uh, Rosemary Ellen Guiley normally joins us the, uh, the second show of every month, but um, last week, of course, we were commemorating the 9... Uh, 11th anniversary, so we thought, well, we'll bring her back this week, and we'll do the full hour, and she's got a brand new book out. It's called Dream Messages from the Afterlife. Rosemary, of course, as I say, one of the leading experts on the paranormal, with more than 50 books published by major houses on a wide range of paranormal, spiritual, and mystical topics, including nine single-volume encyclopedias. Her work is translated into 15 languages. She's worked full-time in the paranormal since 1983, researching, investigating, writing, presenting, and teaching. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, how are you? Hi, Richard. I'm doing great. That's quite a story about the ring. Uh, yeah, that's a real head-scratcher, and uh, I thought you might appreciate that. I'm probably missing some of the details. I deal with missing objects all the time in cases I investigate, and... Sometimes the objects just go walk about for a while, and then they're found in some bizarre location. Sometimes they're missing for long periods of time, and I've even had cases where people had just given up on ever getting anything back. So um, if there's a prayer out there that uh, helps to do the trick, uh, I definitely want to add that to my bag of tricks. But the, the other interesting thing, and we're going to get into uh, dream messages from the afterlife here in just a second, but the other interesting aspect of this is that she found the ring mere moments after having this conversation with her aunt about disappearing jewelry. 
That, to me, is just is the icing on the cake there. Listen, you and I have also talked about contacting uh, people on the other side. And I think I've, I've told you over the years, I constantly have dreams that are populated by dead family members. Just the other night, I had another dream. It was in a, like a tropical location, beautiful, and there was this long dock. And I walked, I'm walking down the end of the dock, and who's at the far end of the dock? fishing, looking tanned and trim and healthy, my late father. And he pulls out a string of fish and he says, why don't you come join us for lunch? And I said, I I started to get kind of an odd feeling. It was almost like a waking dream or a a lucid dream where I was now aware that I was in a dream. And I said, "Uh, no, I I can't stay, Dad. I got to go. And he said, all right, well, maybe next time. And that's really what's at the heart and soul of, of, of your book, Dream Messages from the Afterlife. We have dreams with the dead many times throughout life, and they are, just as you described, sometimes so realistic, it's hard to know whether we're awake or asleep. And these are real encounters. Uh, Since ancient times, people have believed in dreams as a between place where we can have genuine encounters with the dead and with spirits, with uh, the gods, so to speak, These experiences are impossible during waking consciousness, but we can have them while we sleep. And they have a really powerful impact on people, especially during the grieving process. Well, my dad's been gone for 27 years. Was that just a dream? And how do you know when a dream is just a dream and whether you are actually being contacted by those on the other side? Well, there are some distinguishing characteristics, and the dead can visit long after they've passed from the earthly plane. Most oftentimes, these sorts of dreams happen uh, within um, a close time period after someone has died. But the the general hallmarks are uh, intense lucidity, feeling that you're awake and not asleep. Sometimes you might be aware that you're having some sort of dream, but it still seems like a real event. The, The dream has more logic to it. Uh, It's more like a real event, whereas many dreams are uh, kind of jumbled up and have strange kind of storylines. They have no beginning, middle, and end, where these these are more like waking life encounters. And they're purpose-driven. There seems to be some sort of message or emotional feeling imparted by the dream. The dead will return to give us life advice, and uh, sometimes we'll have these dreams they're triggered by uh, emotional states that we're going through. And uh, sometimes we can be um, in the midst of making a difficult decision or at a crossroads or going through a difficult time, and we'll have one of these meaningful dreams that brings some sort of new perspective or energy into waking life, and it helps, helps us sort things out. I thought maybe what we could do, Rosemary, is invite uh, callers to the program and and, and share some of their dream visits from uh, the dearly departed. Um, I would like to hear them. Tell me about um, how you began researching a a, a book like this. This is a huge topic, obviously. Dreams have been important to me for my whole life from uh, a very early time. My mother had a lot of psychic dreams, and for her they were unpleasant because they often involved uh, foreknowledge of people dying. Sometimes they would be uh, strangers, um, celebrities, you know, politicians, you know, f- figures that would be in the news a lot. Sometimes they would be people that she knew, family members or friends. 
when she had these dreams, because of the distinct differences in these dreams versus ordinary dreams, uh, she knew that uh, the, these were events that were going to happen, and she, she felt powerless, and uh, so they were disturbing to her. But for me, hearing about them, uh, it ignited my curiosity about dreams, that, that um, they could penetrate time and look into the future and also into the past. So I really began experimenting with my dreams. I wanted to see the future. I wanted to send and receive messages. I wanted to have uh, remarkable out-of-body journeys. Um, so I began paying attention to my dreams, keeping dream journals, learning about how dreams talk through symbols, learning about lucid dreaming. And uh, that has been a very important component of my entire life. So uh, I've always paid attention to the psychic and spiritual aspects of dreams. And, of course, my research brought me into contact with many people who had these remarkable dreams about uh, the dead and um, how powerful they were and uh, how they could help sort out grieving, how they uh, could bring uh, remarkable healing power into life, guidance, unfinished business, all kinds of things, and uh, that's the result of dream. Uh, the result then is dream messages from the afterlife. I think it's important for people to know that these are significant events that um, should not be just passed off as uh, oh wish fulfillment or uh, you know unresolved grief. They are genuine encounters that we are able to have with people who have crossed over to the other side. I've never considered myself to be a, a psychic in any way, or particularly intuitive, really. And I don't mean to be self-indulgent, and, and you know, hopefully we can work some other callers in, 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 into the proceedings and they can share their story. So what we have to work with right now are yours and mine. And I, I don't know about every night, and I, I really need to start keeping a dream journal. But I would say... You know, several times a week, every week, I have dreams where there are, you know, dead relatives. And I have a lot of relatives on the other side. And, uh, you know, been a pallbearer probably over a dozen times, you know, grandparents and aunts and uncles and a few cousins. I mean, what am I to do with this? Uh, you know, why am I being haunted in this way? Well, it's not really a haunting. Uh, I would consider it quite a blessing. But a lot of times, the dead people in our dreams are dream symbols. We're not having uh, one of these genuine meeting places events. I think that those are special circumstances. And uh, according to the dead, it does take uh, a lot of engineering and, and energy to break open that uh, barrier between physical life and the afterlife in order for these encounters to have. But nonetheless, uh, the dead also pass into our dreaming awareness as symbols. They represent something to us emotionally. They may represent feelings that we had from our relationship with them or at certain stages of life, and so we can interpret them the way we would interpret other dream symbols. All right, we'll take a time out, come back, and discuss dream messages from the afterlife, hot off the presses from our dear friend Rosemary Ellen Guiley. And uh, you've got the telephone at your disposal as well. We'd love to hear your stories. Have you had a dream message from the other side? We'd love to hear about it. Stay with us.
This is no place for the naive or the faint-hearted. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Rosemary Ellen Guiley is with us and her brand new book out, Dream Messages from the Afterlife. And if you've had an experience, a dream, where you encountered uh, perhaps a, a, a loved one, a friend, a colleague who had passed away, uh, and you're curious as to what that may have meant or, or whether it was just a dream or whether that was an actual encounter with the spirit of a, uh, a dead uh, relative or what have you, we'd love to hear from you. And before we get to Michael and Hamilton, I, I want to uh, point out that, as you point out in the book, Rosemary, it's just not the survivors having dreams about dead relatives and so forth. You also talk about uh, people receiving or having dreams uh, that involve, let's say, a dying patient. There's a story here in the book about a, a, a woman whose um, mother had a long terminal illness and the daughter received this dream from the mother saying, don't cry, it'll be all right, I'm ready to go, or something to that extent? I have a couple of examples like that, and the most dramatic one for me was a story about a mother who's in the hospital dying, and her family is so emotionally torn, that emotionally they can't let her go. And her daughter visits her in the hospital, and it seems like her mother is just gone. The body's there, but she's not there. And, and she brings a priest in, and the priest tells her, look, you know, your mother really is already gone, but she can't really go physically until you let her go. <clears throat> and uh, so she calls her sister, and they talk about taking her mother off life support, they can't bring themselves to do that. And she has this dream where her um, her mother is literally, she's in the hospital and trapped in, in like a cage in her bed. And she's standing up on the bed uh, trying to get out like a trap door at the top of this cage. And she's calling out to her daughter saying, please, daughter, let me go, let me go. And um, this dream just really struck home with the daughter that, uh, her her mother's soul wanted to to pass on to go to the afterlife, but she was trapped in this physical body, and she was being held back by the prison of the emotional anguish that uh, her family was in. This dream enabled the daughter to uh, to realize that she really had to emotionally let her mother go, and she convinced her sister and other family members to do the same, and she felt that her mother then was able to pass in peace. So uh, there are times when people have these these dreams where that's that's the way that um, that we're able to be reached. Sometimes uh, patients who are uh, dying uh, of terminal illness pass in and out of consciousness a lot. They go into comas. They can't communicate very well, but they can come to us in our dreams. So, what would you? How would you categorize that? Is that telepathic communication? Uh, it is. It's. Uh, it can be telepathic, and yet this this meeting in this between place. Plato called dreams the between place, and he said this this is a landscape, a reality where uh, it's not in the physical world and it's not in the spirit world, but it's like a bridge. And uh, we can have these these encounters with people who either are on the other side or in the process of transiting. And so dream messages from the afterlife concern uh, a whole range of, of dreams, um, 
with the dying, with foretelling death, with uh, messages literally from the afterlife, with previews of the afterlife, um, very powerful um, uh, experiences that involve uh, a little bit of precognition. Sometimes we see the future. Uh, we have clairvoyance, we see things that aren't physically present in this world, and we have telepathic communication. That is another hallmark of these kinds of dreams, is that we communicate with the dead, but it's through mental impression. Um, and interestingly, we have the ability to touch, to feel them physically, and that's one thing that people comment on, uh, that they're they're stunned at, uh, being able to reach out and hug someone who's died, and uh, as though they they were still living. That, that's that's true. I'm glad you mentioned that. <clears throat> I forgot to mention when I uh, had this dream recently about seeing my father at the end of this long dock in some sort of Caribbean uh, setting, <clears throat> fishing. Uh, and I walked to the end of the dock and I saw him. And uh, when we greeted, we embraced, and I and it did feel very real. Uh, uh, you know, I can, I, I can see the hat that he was wearing on his head, uh, the shorts, the shirt, you know, uh, but a, a younger, probably younger than I am now, a very much younger version of my father. Anyway, let's go to uh, Michael in Hamilton. Michael, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Well, thank you, Richard. Yeah, I would like to talk to your guest, and I've wanted to talk to an expert about this for a long time. I've had a lot of this situation of what has been referred to by other people as dream travel, but this started in the 1980s. And it started, interestingly enough, I had a dream, and I, I guess I'll say right now, uh, my niece died when I was between four and six years old. And at that time, I would have been about 30 when I had this dream. And uh, in this dream, there was a field. And if you are familiar with houses that have uh, stairs from the outside going down to the basement, there was only a set of stairs. And this woman came out from this area and introduced herself to me and said hello and I said hi and anyway she said why don't you come and uh, visit with some people here so I went down these stairs to what looked like a rec room and there was all these people most of them very old and anyway I said what's going on and everything like that of course I didn't recognize her and I hadn't thought of this person for many many years and I never really knew this person because I was so young when she died and anyway, at some point, I, we walked back up the stairs, and as we were walking up the stairs, there was a bunch of dolls sitting there on shelves. And I looked at them, and she said, that one's me. And there was a little doll there in a blue outfit, you know, baby doll. And anyway, I said, what are you talking about? She said, no, really, it's me. And she started to laugh, and I said, I'm getting out of this charade. This is ridiculous. And I walked away from her, and, and all of a sudden, my blood went cold. And I knew who it was. And I turned around and I said, Lorraine. And I looked, everything there was gone. She was gone. This sort of a staircase going down into this rec room was gone and everything. And I realized who it was at that point. It took me five years to tell my sister about that. And when I did tell her, she said, well, this doll, what was it wearing? And I told her that. And my sister said, oh, my God, that's what she was buried in. Oh, I didn't Lord. remember any of that because of the fact that it happened when I was very young and it was 25, 26, 27 years later. Well, Michael, my blood just went cold. Rosemary, what do you make of that? That's a remarkable it's story, Michael. It's an astonishing experience and very similar to uh, the types of experiences I have heard over the years of researching dreams. Um, 
some people have the ability to travel out of body uh, quite a bit in dreams. I think we go out of body whenever we dream, but some dreams are more markedly out of body. And we do get glimpses of the afterlife, uh, even years after someone has passed. Robert Monroe was an American broadcast engineer who accidentally discovered how to go out of body in a, a dreaming state of consciousness. He called it um, mind-awake body asleep. And he found that when he was in that twilight uh, period between uh, wakefulness and sleeping, he could catapult himself out of his body. So he spent many years exploring these otherworldly realms, including the afterlife, and he would go and see scenes in the afterlife and see the dead and have conversations about uh, what the, the afterlife was like. Uh, and I have met other people who have had similar experiences, and Michael's experience is very similar to those. I forgot one thing if you're still there. Yes, go ahead, Michael. I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm sorry. But one thing that, that upset me a little bit when I thought this whole thing was a charade and everything, and I was looking at this, this doll with these clothes on it and everything, and she said, that's me and everything. She laughed at me and she said, you people don't think we grow up, but we do. That is interesting, very and interesting. That, that is the case, that uh, people will uh, see um, the dead years after they've passed on and they have advanced in the afterlife. Uh, what the dead tell us through dreams and through mediumistic communications and channelings is that uh, the afterlife is very fluid and they can uh, they can advance in years uh, for example if they die when they're a child they can uh, advance into uh, an adult stage um, I think that there are many kinds of experiences in the afterlife for us to choose and uh, that some of us may go into very um, distant areas of the afterlife, distant, uh, maybe vibrationally or spiritually, where it's it's harder for us to access, and uh, they, they kind of pass then out of our awareness. But I've had that described to me as well. And, and conversely, it, when people die uh, in their later years, or if they are sick or injured or wounded uh, when they die, they, when they appear to us, they are often much younger. They're vibrant. They're in a peak of health, like your dad was, Richard. Yes. Hey, Michael and Hamilton, a great call. Thank you for that. Thank you. Dream messages from the afterlife. Rosemary Ellen Guiley is with us, and uh, her website, www.visionaryliving.com. How about for you personally, uh, uh, Rosemary? Have you, uh, have you had uh, particularly poignant uh, messages in your dreams from departed loved ones? I had a very remarkable dream visit with my father two weeks after he died. And uh, uh, Dad uh, had an aneurysm and died on the operating table. He was out in Seattle, and so, of course, I wasn't there. I was living in New York at the time, um, and I did not know about it until after he was gone. So uh, many people, when they cannot be present when a loved one dies, uh, this adds to the burden of, of grief and is an, another thing to work through with closure. And then sometimes these dream visits uh, really help with that. Uh, but they are not wish fulfillment. Now, in this particular case, uh, two weeks after Dad died, 
uh, I had one of these realistic, lucid uh, dreams where I was back in my parents' home, the house that I grew up, and Dad and I were sitting in the living room. Uh, Mother was somewhere else in the house, not present in the dream. And uh, I'm looking at Dad, and I know he's dead, and uh, I know in the dream that Dad knows he's dead, and Dad knows that I know that he's dead. And so I say to him, Dad, what are you doing here? You can't be here. You're dead. And uh, he said he knew, uh, but uh, he had all these things that he hadn't finished. You know, he died very suddenly. Nobody ever dies with their calendar complete. And Dad was a busy guy, and I could certainly understand that his abrupt departure, he felt that, you know, there were things that he he really wanted to accomplish and finish. But we, in the dream, we then engage in this lengthy conversation where uh, I'm convincing Dad, trying to convince Dad, that he can't stay on Earth. He, He needs to move on into the afterlife. And at the end of the dream, I see him going off into the distance into what looks like a very big building. And I have a feeling it's like a, a working place, a factory or something, a place where you go to work. So the dream then had meaning for me on, on multiple levels. One was uh, I felt that I had uh, enabled my father to make a full transition uh, it was some closure for me, and then there was symbolism, too, because if anything, Dad would want to go to work wherever he was. He would be wanting to stay busy. Well, unbeknownst to me, um, my mother, who was very psychic, uh, had been experiencing my dad in the house uh, for these two weeks after his burial, and uh, she could feel his presence in different rooms, and it was kind of an electrical feeling, and sometimes she could see kind of a luminous energy, and she knew it was bad, and that he was still there. And then suddenly, after two weeks, he was just gone. And I shared my dream with her, and for me it was no coincidence that uh, his presence from the house ended at the time when I had my dream meeting with him about the need for closure and to just move into his new life. Rosemary Allen Guiley is here, and she says we can have contact with the dead in the most common and powerful way is through our dreams. Dream messages from the afterlife. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show and your calls. Stay with us. The truth will set you free, but first, it'll really tick you off. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Rosemary Ellen Guiley is with us. Dream messages from the afterlife. We've been talking about you know, people who have dreams uh, that are uh, populated by you know, deceased relatives and so forth. But there's also, as you point out in the book, dream messages from the afterlife, premonitions of death. And there's many poignant examples, but one I'd, I'd like to, you to talk about is... 
you know, we just commemorated the uh, the 12th anniversary of the 9/11 attacks, and you you, you talk about uh, a, a woman who lost her husband in the 9/11 attacks, who was having premonitions. Can you share that with us? Yes, uh, some of the uh, victims of 9/11 had dreams that forecast their death, and of course, they were often passed off as just you know, unusual dreams or anxiety dreams. Nobody really connected them to an impending disaster. This all fell into place afterwards. But um, some of the family members also had dreams. And one of them that that, uh, really hit home with me was a, a dream that a wife had about her husband. And he didn't work at the World Trade Center. They were from the Midwest, but he traveled to New York to have a business meeting on the fateful day and uh, died in the disaster. And she had a dream where uh, she saw him in a long line of people, and uh, they all looked kind of somber, like they were going somewhere. And uh, she sees her husband pass by her, and there's a very strange figure um, a, a man-like figure be, behind him, and he uh, points to her husband and says to the wife in the dream, he's next. And it was just a, she wakes up in a, a cold sweat, just very chilled feeling, um, and worried about what that, that really means. And, uh, of course, within uh, a short period of time, uh, the, the disaster happens. So uh, there were there were other people who uh, even made comments about their own impending death, or comments like, um, "Well, soon they would be going," or they would be wrapping up their affairs and uh, pointing things out to their family, like um, where the the legal papers were, the financial papers, uh, and all very eerie when you when you put all of these stories together. Uh, there's one that you mentioned as well. Uh, in fact, this lady wrote a book uh, about it called uh, Messages, Signs, Visits, and Premonitions from, the, from Loved Ones Lost on 9-11. Bonnie McKinnery lost her own husband, Eamon, in the attacks. He worked at Cantor Fitzgerald on the 105th floor of the North Tower. And Eamon, interestingly, had survived the 1993 bombing of the World Trade Center. And he had led about 60 other people to safety. And in the weeks approaching 9-11, he started talking about having premonitions that this was going to, the, the, the World Trade Center tower was going to be hit again. And he was going to, he, he was going to die. He also had the feeling that, um, the sense that he was going to die there. Uh, and Bonnie collected other stories, um, about some of the victims where they would tell their, uh, have disturbing dreams and then tell their family members that, um, this is going to be my last summer. Um, I'm going to I'm going to be going soon, and of, of course this was all very upsetting. But nobody wanted to think in terms of uh, actual death. It raises a lot of questions, Richard, about destiny and time. You know, our time to go. And uh, many people have the the conviction, and and I'm one of them. Uh, is is that when it's your time to to go, you're going to go. And maybe we have some choices about how we go, but um, dreams certainly point to uh, to that certainty. There's also a great story in the book about Abraham Lincoln just t- 10 days before he was assassinated. 
of a very famous dream where he uh, awakened to <clears throat> people in mourning in the White House, and he asked one of the guards, he starts walking through the, the halls and hearing all this weeping and wailing, and um, <clears throat> asks a guard who is dead in the White House, and um, it's the president. Uh, and so he, we very seldom have dramatic dreams of our own deaths where we, we see ourselves uh, dead. Again, people will sometimes see themselves in coffins or in a grave. They're symbolic uh, of something traumatic or coming to an end in life. But uh, rarely uh, people do have these true precognitive dreams of, of their own passing. I, I think that this is such a shock to the system, even though we all know we're going to die at some time, it's still such a shock to the system that few people would be able to handle that. And evidently, Abraham Lincoln was one of those rare individuals who could. All right, we'll take a time out, come back, and continue to talk about dream messages from the afterlife with Rosemary Ellen Guiley. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Just a programming note coming up in the uh, the weeks ahead. Uh, Colin Andrews, um, who is widely credited with coining the term uh, crop circles, uh, will be with us to talk about hidden technologies, powers of the mind, quantum physics, paranormal phenomena, orbs, UFOs, harmonic transmissions, and, of course, the aforementioned crop circles. That's Colin Andrews. And uh, also, Rodney Asher, filmmaker, uh, who was supposed to join us uh, a couple of months ago. In fact, I think while I was uh, doing the, the program from Greece, we had to juggle things around. Rodney will be with us next week, uh, and uh, we'll talk about his documentary film, Room 237, which examines the hidden messages inside the films of Stanley Kubrick, uh, in particular, of course, The Shining. And uh, that's something near and dear to Rosemary's heart, because you stayed in that hotel where that movie was made, didn't you, Rosemary? I did several times. I, I did some big group investigations there, and it's quite a place and very haunted. Now, uh, again, not to be too self-indulgent, but we were talking about premonitions. And um, you may recall when I had this dream with my father, he, um, he was fishing at the end of the dock, pulls out a string of fish and uh, asked me if I wanted to join him for lunch. And that's when I, I find that kind of unsettling. I thought, what is he asking me to stay, like, permanently? So I said, I can't, I, and I hightailed it down to the end of the dock. Uh, can you put on your dream analyst hat for a moment? Um, wh- wh- I mean, what, is the, what does that represent, the string of fish and stay for lunch? And, or am I reading too much into it? Oh, no, not at all, Richard. I think uh, these dreams have to be examined from a symbolic aspect as well as from a literal aspect. Even even if it's a real encounter dream, it's always going to have symbology to it that's important. So the thing we look for is to, to uh, take our associations with different pieces of the dream and relate them back to ourselves emotionally uh, within the context of things going on in daily life. So if that were my dream, uh, the, the fish would be a very important symbol to me. And what do fish represent? Well, they certainly have a biblical context where 
you know, the story where Jesus uh, multiplies the loaves and the fishes, uh, they're a symbol of plenty. They're also a symbol of spirituality. Um, they can represent the intuition because they reside below the surface in the water, and the water is a symbol. Um, being invited to lunch, um, uh, sharing uh, something memorable. Uh, food is spiritual energy, and in dreams it often represents um, absorbing something spiritually. So for for me that would be kind of a double symbolism. We've got food that's that's highly symbolic from a spiritual perspective, and then the the invitation to partake. So. Um, coming from the dead then brings in another element like um, uh, is that symbolic of uh, looking beyond the physical for spiritual renewal or or new energy um, some sort of uh, perhaps emotional connection with uh, with father uh, that pertains to something going on in life right now. All of these would be possible avenues for exploration. And um, then in dream work, then you, you get those intuitive hits in terms of, of what strikes home. Wow. Uh, you see, I'm such a linear thinker. I didn't even go down that path. I just thought when a dead relative asks you to stay for lunch, you know, get the hell out of Dodge because you may not come back. <laughs> Who knows? I don't know. What, what do you think would have happened if I had gone for lunch? Um, well, it, it might have been an interesting experience. Now, in real encounter dreams, um, there there is a barrier that uh, it seems like the dead are able to to come a little further to meet us than than us them. But there still is this point of transition, and sometimes they will tell the living, uh, "Well, I have to go now, and you can't come." Um, and we see them going away or vanishing or going across a bridge or down a hallway, something like that. Uh, sometimes people in the dream will ask to go uh, if they're in, in very deep stages of, of grieving. They will say, can I come too? And the dead will say, no, you can't. You have to stay here. So uh, I don't think that you would have been um, you know, kidnapped into the afterlife, so to speak, but um, there may be something around the theme of spiritual nourishment here, and it may relate to something with your father, um, something about your relationship with your father that would be spiritually nourishing to you. And um, All right, everybody pull up a couch. Try that. <laughs> couch trip. <laughs> Tell me about your father. <laughs> uh, the other uh, aspect, of course, and, and you dedicate uh, chapter two in the book, is is um, deathbed visions or dreams. Uh, again, these are the people that are are uh, preparing to leave this earth, having uh, of dreams. And it sounds like a cliche, but uh, as you report in the book, people really do hear like angels, harps, and are surrounded by uh, by these invisible helpers. Isn't that right? They are uh, people who die in stages. Uh, from uh, infirmity, old age, terminal illness, uh, have increasing visions of the afterlife where the barriers between the two worlds start melting away and they will be visited by dead people, by spiritual helpers like angels. Uh, in parapsychology research, uh, these um, beings and the dead, they're called takeaway, uh, takeaway apparitions because they 
they come for the purpose of escorting the soul into the afterlife. Quite often they see beautiful scenes, uh, gardens, uh, parks, vistas full of astonishing colors and beauty that uh, is unsurpassed on Earth. Um, and Robert Monroe, who I mentioned a little earlier, who did out-of-body traveling to uh, different places, including the afterlife, also commented that um, the park, a beautiful park, is a place of transition. So it seems to be like one of the first places that we go to after we die. And it looks earthly, but it's got unearthly colors in it. And the dead are there and sometimes spiritual beings like angels. And we're greeted by peace, by beauty, love, comfort, and it eases the transition for us. So these scenes open up to people while they are in the early stages of dying. Uh, if if you keep having dreams about uh, a, a relative or someone who's passed on, and it's you know years and years and years have gone by, does that mean that they're trapped in a certain plane that they haven't evolved spiritually, or or is it possible you know that they they are in heaven and then they can come down to this plane to communicate with us? Uh, there are a number of possibilities, and sometimes repeating dreams uh, of the dead may point back to unresolved issues that we have. And uh, these would be repeating dreams with the same themes and could revolve around our relationship and issues. Uh, there are dreams where the dead come and ask the living for help if they uh, have not been able to complete their transition. And those fall into these intense, lucid, realistic encounter dreams. Uh, one of the ones I include in the book concerns um, a woman who died in a car accident and her brother had a, a dream of her in which he finds her wandering, uh, and she's cold, and she doesn't know where she is, and she's lost. She doesn't seem to recognize him very well. And uh, in the dream, a bridge opens up, and he takes her to the bridge, and on the other side he can see their dead grandparents, and they're reaching out to her, calling to her to come. And so she does go across the bridge and, and joins them. He believed uh, very firmly uh, when he awoke from that experience that uh, his sister had been uh, temporarily lost, um, probably didn't even know she was dead because of the suddenness of the accident, and that he was able to help her make her transition. Uh, some uh, faiths have, you know, uh, they prohibit, you know, uh, uh, you know, trying to communicate uh, with the dead or conjuring uh, the departed. Uh, but for those that are uh, interested in in communicating with with dead relatives and so forth through dreams, how how, how does one go about it? Is there a sort of a tried and true method uh, before you go at night, where go to bed at night, where you can sort of not guarantee, but come pretty close to guaranteeing a communication? We can certainly do things to encourage the, the contact and enhance the uh, possibilities for these kinds of dreams. Uh, these dreams are, are need-driven, and uh, they often happen spontaneously. Many people who have them, they're unexpected. But uh, it is possible to incubate dreams to invite contact and messages through setting intention when we go go to sleep, 
to have a meaningful dream, um, either message from someone who has died or contact with that person. And the dream may take the form of, of ordinary dreaming with um, messages conveyed through dream symbols, but it's still meaningful, meaningful for us. Um, the dead have indicated that the conditions under which these real encounters take place are very complicated, and they often have just a short period of time uh, to to be with us in that state. Uh, and that the way we dream is an important part of it. Uh, I include uh, an example uh, where a, a mother comes to her daughter-in-law to pass a message on to her son, and when the daughter-in-law says, well, yes, I'll give him the message, but why don't you tell him yourself? And the woman answers, I can't because of the way he dreams. So uh, all of these are factors. And if we pay attention to our dreams and uh, invite the contact through intention setting at night, uh, we might be able to have then meaningful dream contact with the dead. Uh, how important is it to keep a dream journal and, and uh, what sort of things should you be keeping track of uh, when, you're, when you're keeping a journal? It is important to keep a dream journal. The more we understand about how we dream uh, personally, we're going to be able to recognize the different dreams. And um, we can have very powerful uh, out-of-body dreams and, and um, uh, heavy spiritual dreams, uh, even beyond just meetings with the dead, and they are different from ordinary dreaming. So our unique dream language is is going to show us that. And uh, if we know how we dream on an ordinary day-to-day basis, then we are better able to recognize the, the big dreams when they happen. Uh, dreams are uh, made out of emotion. Uh, they're about how we feel and how we feel, how we're doing in life, our emotional connections to other people, our, the emotional undertones behind our beliefs and uh, our expectations and our, our hopes, our aspirations, our anxieties. So it's always important to pay attention to the emotional tone of a dream, uh, how we are feeling emotionally in the dream and upon awakening, and uh, relate those feelings back to how we're dealing with things in life. Uh, just almost out of time here, but just a, a thought occurred to me, you know, uh, we talked about dreams, but do do we ever get messages from dearly departed ones in nightmares? Or is that a different kettle of fish? Uh, we certainly could. Uh, and uh, they can, uh, in, in many cases, there are going to be symbols in those nightmares uh, where they represent uh, something that we need to pay attention to. Uh, and... Uh, nightmares are often uh, about something that needs to be confronted, resolved, or brought into balance in life. And the dead can play valuable roles in that, too. All right, Rosemary, congratulations on Dream Messages from the Afterlife. Can we order that through the website, visionaryliving.com? Yes, I send it out autographed from my website, and it's also available on Amazon.com. And thank you for uh, my autographed copy. Oh, you're quite welcome. I'm glad you enjoyed the book. Always a pleasure, Rosemary. We'll talk to you next month. Thank you, Richard. Good night. Good night. Three messages from the afterlife. That's...
number 50, I think, or 51 and counting. Uh, Tim Spreen, thank you as always for technical production. As I say, next uh, coming up in the uh, coming uh, weeks, Colin Andrews on the Edge of Reality and uh, Rodney Asher, the director of Room 237, Hidden Messages Inside the uh, Films of Stanley Kubrick. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed, nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. Thank you.